So Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to, to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Thanks, uh, Courtney. And a, and a big happy birthday uh, to you. So you're like, what? Uh, if, you, if this is your church, we started four years ago today. And so it's a happy birthday uh, to us as a community. And if it is your birthday, we got food afterwards. We'll celebrate, okay? And maybe some cash. No, probably not. It's, uh, it's the coolest Easter yet for uh, us as a church. And, and for me as a person, my name is Jose, and my wife and I, we got back a little over two weeks ago from a tour of Israel, the Holy Land. And we had a chance to see the sites where people think Jesus went to the cross where we celebrate Good Friday. And the tomb, there are two different options where people think he may have been buried and then came to life on the Sunday morning. We had a chance to stand there and see it and touch the very spaces. Uh, let me just recommend something to you. If you ever get a chance to go to tour the places of the Bible, do it, but make sure you get a great guide. We had an amazing guide. His name's Avi, which is short for Abraham. And Avi has led thousands of people all over Israel over the last 28 years. He's born and raised in Israel, but he sounds like a New Yorker, and th that's my roots. So I was like, Avi, Jose, you know. It was, it was cool. And 
And Avi, on day one, I'd never met him. You get in the bus, and he's like, hello, here, I'm Avi, and, and I'm going to be your tour guide. And first day, I thought Avi is a Christian. This guy quotes more of the Bible than I know, and he sounds like a Christian. And then he just started, as we are going from place to place, saying some statements that didn't exactly line up. He kept saying, like in the future, and you know, when Messiah comes, he's going to be coming down this hill. Oh, and when Messiah comes, he's going to be riding on the donkey. Avi was an amazing guide, and he, he was able to communicate with us, a Christian group, like he was a Christian, but there were these spots where he threw in his Jewish heritage. So it was interesting to get the perspective of someone who does not follow Jesus actually lead you to the places where Jesus spoke. So I remember we were in the, gar- uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays, Father, if you can take this suffering from me, please. But not my will, but yours. And Avi had been sharing about when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes. I had to remind our group, hey, because of what we just read in Luke 24, because of what we just read, we don't believe that one day Messiah will come riding on a donkey, the sign of royalty, the sign of kingship. He actually came once. Now he's going to be coming on a horse as the leader of the universe. He's going to be coming on a horse, so to speak, as a royal figure, and he's going to reign forever and ever. And so there was a spot where Avi and I, who, who laughed and joked and spent time in Scripture together, there's a point where we disagreed, and that's okay. Now, in light of that kind of distinction, we read from Luke 24, the account of what happened on the first Easter morning. Now, how can we claim... Think about it. How can I claim to Avi that what they're expecting as a faithful Jew has already happened in the person of Jesus? But that's not most of our question. Most of our question is, okay, if Jesus really came and really is who he says he is, well, how do I navigate my career? How do I navigate school? How do I navigate life in my neighborhood? How do I navigate conflict, parenthood, whatever season of life you're in, If Jesus is risen, the answer is, so what? Like, what are the events, but then what do the events mean? Now, we want to start with what happened and then look at what they mean. What happened? At the end of Luke, how Luke ties it up is brilliant. Rather than just saying, Jesus is the Lord of the universe, follow him, what does he do? He gives us the first day. So in the morning, he appears to these women who who disbelieve but then believe. And then Jesus goes on a hike. Day one, sounds like an Oregonian, right? He puts on his Fitbit, so to speak, and he walks for seven miles, logging every step. Jesus walks seven miles in the desert on day one. Why? What Luke is trying to do, like a good writer, is draw us into the story. Why does Jesus walk so far on the first day. Why does he leave Jerusalem to an obscure place called Emmaus? It's because there are a couple of confused people. Hear me. On the first day, as in every day since, Jesus is about going to where people are who know something about him but are confused by what happened. And that may be your story this morning. Some of you have come because you love Jesus, you follow him, and this is like a big day in the year where we remember that he is not dead, he is alive. 
But for some of us, we come into church once, twice, five times a year to see, is there any meaning in it? Is there anything to this thing other than Sunday rituals and maybe midweek readings and some rules? Is there more to the faith than just a piece of history? If that's you here this morning, we want to look at what happened to see what might happen in your world. Now, here's what, here's what Luke does. He's genius. He draws us into the story by giving us two people walking along a road and how Jesus meets them where they're at. And the conversation is meant to draw you in because as you're reading it, you know the answers. You know that Jesus is alive. They don't. You know that he's risen. They don't. You know that he's going to speak to his disciples and he's going to commission them to go and share the message, but they don't. So the reason he gives us this, it's a literary twist, is so that you can jump in and feel their pain, step into their confusion, and ask their questions. That's why, it, it's kind of like, you know, we're in a TV generation. It's like Undercover Boss. You ever see the show? Undercover Boss, CEO or CFO, the leader of an organization, goes to a lower level in the organization where people don't know what he or she looks like, and they disguise themselves at, to see what's really going on in the company. And it's, reading this is just like watching Undercover Boss. As the viewer, you know it's the CEO. We know this is Jesus, but they don't. So in, in, in the episode, what you get is what's really going on. The real struggles, the real things they don't like about their company, the, the real personal challenges that they're facing. And at the end, because it's all edited, there's a few tears and a commercial break and it's all over, you know. But you don't get the reveal until the end. No one knows what's really going on until the end. And so in the same way as we just read the encounter, Luke is doing this not to waste space. He's actually doing it to draw you in. And now, because this isn't TV, it's written, how do we know how the episode, so to speak, is going to play out? It's through the questions. So what I just want to do is we already read it. I wanted to review the questions. What does Jesus ask? What do they ask? And how in the end does Jesus answer your questions about God and about life and about brokenness and about healing and about the future? How does this all turn out in the end? Well, let's just jump back. Notice the questions. If you have your Bible, look back at verse 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And then notice their response. They stood still. Clue here. Their faces what? Downcast. This isn't an exciting journey back to Emmaus because everything that they hoped about their future had just been destroyed in the previous weekend in Jerusalem. One of them, and Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And then Jesus asked, again, he's driving it further. What things? Now, obviously, Jesus happened to be there on the cross. He knows what happened. So why does Jesus ask these good questions? Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He wasn't. This is what Jesus is looking for. It's what he's looking for from them. It's what he's looking for from you. He's looking for you to respond, and that's why Luke records it. He was a prophet. Notice, past tense, he's gone. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now, notice their posture. They're downcast, 
and they're replaying the events of the weekend. Like undercover boss, they don't know this is Jesus. So they're spilling what's going on on the inside. They had hope that had been crushed. And maybe that's you. Easter is a great time if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a confusing time, honestly, if you're not, because there are millions and millions and millions here in America, more than a billion around the world, who claim that Jesus is someone more than how they respond. I want us to see they don't give Jesus' full identity. He was a prophet in word and deed. He, He was a healer. He was a good man. But our leaders crushed the dream, and Jesus is gone. And that is where many of you may sit this morning. Jesus is a nice guy. Jesus has some good teachings. Jesus was one of the many moral leaders, but that's it. That's all. End of story. Jesus draws them in just like he draws us in. Now, now where did it go wrong? Look at verse 21. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this has taken place. So Cleopas sees Jesus as a prophet and a teacher and a miracle worker, and he's partly right. Jesus does speak for his father, and Jesus does do the miracles that do speak to the unique relationship he has with his father. But the thing is, they wanted more. They were looking for more. And in the first century, if, if you've ever studied history, there was a group, not all Jews, but a group that were looking for God to fulfill his promise to redeem them. Now, redeem Israel. Most of you think redemption, you're thinking a nickel, right? If you've got a, a can or a bottle uh, here in Oregon and many other states, you can redeem that can. So you get 20 little bottles, clink, 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 you know, or crash, 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 whatever, bottles, cans, whatever, and you get a buck. 20 in, and they buy back. You redeem those bottles. It's actually, that's a pretty cool deal to recycle, but it's in line with the first century thought of redemption. In Jesus' time, when you said that we were going to redeem something, it meant something specific. It meant deliverance on payment of a price. So if you were in debt and you were a family member, you owed money to someone for a business deal gone bad, I, and you were thrown in jail because you couldn't pay your debts, I could come in and redeem you. I've got cash. This is fictitious. I've got money. And, and I love you. That's real. And, and so I'm going to rescue you. The way I deliver you is I pay the price. Now, cans, a nickel, bottles, a nickel. The bigger question is what is it going to take to deliver us? This is where the beauty of Easter is seen as most beautiful. Because yeah, aluminum has some worth and glass has some worth, but what is it going to take? See, in Jesus' day, they were looking for the nation to be redeemed. God brought this people into the land. They rebelled against God, and they were now overtaken by many other governments. Now it was the Romans. So if you're a Jew, in Jesus' time, you're waiting for God to send his Messiah, who is going to buy back, remove the leader that's keeping God's people from enjoying God's presence in God's land. In their case, God, come and kick out, remove the Romans, and establish a Israeli king 
that honors you, loves you, knows you, so that we can worship at your temple and live under your ways. They expected redemption. Now, which is why Jesus gets after them. Look at, down at verse 25. He says to them, this seems harsh, but it's actually appropriate, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? What Jesus is saying is, guys, the storyline of what God's going to do is already there. You have read, God has spoken over centuries, slowly by slowly through his people, what he was going to do to buy back us. Not a can, not glass, but us. Now, obviously, you're worth more than a nickel. So what's it going to take? So all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, if you want to know what God's going to do and you want to know what it's going to take, all you have to do is read. So Jesus says, you know, now Cleopas and this friend, some scholars think it's his wife, were already Jesus' followers. So he's slamming them. He's like, you guys, you've heard me. Now they don't know it's him yet. But you've heard Jesus, the guy in the grave who's standing right in front of you. You've heard You've heard his teachings, and yet you don't believe. See, they were confused by the cross. They were confused by the, the thought of resurrection. So Jesus, what does he do? He says, beginning with Moses, verse 27, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, unfortunately, Luke doesn't tell us what exactly. It wouldn't be nice, like, what verse, what chapter did he go to? But actually, Luke doesn't have to do that. He's already done it. Luke 24 is at the end of his, his gospel, his account of the Jesus birth, Jesus life, Jesus teaching, Jesus death and resurrection. And so all you have to do is read back as a reader at the specific points in the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm going to give you just three. Some of you may be new to the Bible, so for speed, I'm just going to put it on the screen. Every one of these is already in the Gospel of Luke, no surprise, and every one of them is from the law and the prophets. So Luke 4, 18 to 20, is a quote from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. By the way, everyone reading Isaiah 61 at the time of Jesus knows that this is speaking about Messiah, God's messenger who's going to deliver, who's going to redeem, buy back the Israeli people because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to, uh, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when, in, in Luke 4, when Jesus says this, he, he gives away the scroll and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing shock them. So they bring him out to the edge of the city to try and kill him because Jesus is claiming to be who Isaiah 700 years prior had been speaking about. Isaiah is speaking about not just any old Messiah. He's speaking about Jesus. Now, a quote from Psalm 118. Luke 19, 37, 38, when Jesus came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. seen. And then they, they, they sing out Psalm 118. 
which was seen in Jesus' day as pointing to the king to come, the Messiah. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh, of God. Blessed it is God's king, God's messenger. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is sung about Jesus, and Jesus does not stop them. One more, Luke 21, just a couple of chapters before we read this morning, verse 27 and 28. At that time, Jesus says, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And with these things, when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption, your being bought back, is drawing near. Everyone reads Daniel 7 at the time of Jesus as referring to the one. Now, if you keep reading in Daniel 7, after these verses, it speaks of him being worshipped and, and this son of man sitting at the right hand of God forever and ever, and his kingdom will never end. These are just three of many all over the Gospel of Luke. And then we just finished studying the book of Acts. They're all over the book of Acts. So Jesus explains what God had already said and says, now, you need to know this refers to me. So when Jesus quotes, he's not quoting isolated things out of air and saying, oh, this kind of looks like me, kind of looks like me. Jesus does what Isaiah 61 talks about. He opens blind eyes. He heals those that are lame. He brings those who are in captivity out and, and brings them to new life again. Those filled with demonic power who are bound up to their own evil bent, he sets them free. You see, Jesus is who God had been speaking about from the beginning. It's like any good drama. This just happens to be true. An author tells you what's about to happen and hints and hints and hints. And there comes a stage where you need to reveal what you've been hinting at. And Jesus is that revelation, my friends. Jesus, the one we celebrate today, is the one that the entire Bible is written about. So, beginning with the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Explained. That word explain means Jesus clarified it as to make it understandable. He interpreted it. So he takes all of these things and he says, this is how it relates to me. And this is how that relates to me. Now jumping back to Avi in, in Israel. He knows the scriptures. He knows the life of Jesus. He could tell you the places and the dates. But he hasn't had that interpretation. He hasn't had that understanding yet. You see, it's possible to know the facts of what happened. What happened is important. But something has to happen within us to know what that means. So there are lots of reasons why people just claim that Jesus is a nice guy or a, a decent teacher. It could be just lack of concern. Most people that I meet, I mean, Jesus is great, but you know what? I got a job. I got a family. I've got, I've got things I want to do with my life. And there's little room in our world for anything more. I don't need it. Have you ever talked to someone and said, like, that's, if you need God, that's great. I don't, I don't need God. Really? Now, in one sense, to pay your mortgage, you, you may not need God unless you need, like, breath and life and skill and a brain. And See, the things that we take for granted is just human ability. We forget our gifts from God. You see, you're valuable. In the beginning, when God made Adam and Eve... God made them in his own image. 
and breathe into them the breath of life. You're not just a tree, an animal, a rock, a mountain, a stream. You bear the image of God right now, whether you follow him or not. You have his imprint in your DNA. And because you are so valuable, Easter isn't about what just happened. It's about what Jesus' resurrection means. So let's just think about it. Let's just spend the rest, uh, a couple of minutes on what does Jesus' resurrection mean? Easter reminds us that Jesus is alive and gives life to those who follow him. That's what we see in this encounter. We're going to continue to read a few verses that are going to show the transformation from doubters to spokespeople. These two people end up being spokespersons for the resurrection of Jesus, and that could happen for you. You could leave here going from from skeptic or doubting or just almost there to convinced God can do that. He did it in them. He can do it in you. Two implications of Jesus' bodily, physical resurrection. Number one, Jesus is speaking. It sounds super obvious, but when you read fast, you sometimes miss the obvious. Let's look at verse 28. We only read through verse 27, so I'll continue on. Verse 28 says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he broke bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he, catch this phrase, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. The resurrection means that Jesus is standing right in front of them. This might sound base level obvious, but I think that because we've had it for 2,000 years, we miss the obvious. Where is Jesus and what is he doing? Now we read Acts and we know that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, Daniel 7. He now is seated on God's throne as God himself ruling. So we know that. But what we catch from Luke 24 is Jesus is involved. The New Testament speaks of Jesus ever praying for his people. Jesus is communicating. Jesus is actively engaged with people who are lacking that hope. And this morning, I'm here to remind you, my friend, that the same Jesus who spoke to Cleopas, and maybe his wife or his friend or his brother, we don't know, is still speaking. He's communicating in ways that make sense to you. And what he does most often is he connects the dots with what he already said. So Jesus talks to them on the road about the scriptures. And so as you read or heard this morning what Jesus has done, something can click on the inside. So weren't our hearts, this sounds like human, our hearts burning within us. We understand that. If you've ever been in love, you know what it's like to have your heart burn within you. And you see her go by, you go, my, 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 my. You know what that's like. Or you're there for the birth of your child and you're just overwhelmed, and something within you burns with a sense of, oh my Lord, they're going to entrust me with this human being. What have I gotten myself into? Which is the first thing you're thinking. Like, they don't know who I am. 
They can't send me home with this baby. So what happened was you had a child, but there's something deeper that happens within. What happened is you fell in love, but what happens is something deeper within. My friend, I'm here to remind you in Jesus' name that what, what was spoken to them can be spoken to you, and you can know that you know that you know that you know that your worth is not in what you can offer God, but what God can offer you. The story of Good Friday and Easter is not that we're, we're awesome and God needs us on his team. That's just not the story. The story is that our sin and our brokenness and our rebellion and our failures are all seen by God and he doesn't smash us. But yet in his love, he shows us our worth by sending his son, the Messiah. This was the mystery. This is what threw the first century Jew off, was that God was not going just to redeem, buy back a nation to live on a plot of land and have a temple and follow the Bible. It was, it was more personal that Cleopas's life could be made new, that his wife could be transformed, and that you and I, as a long line of people throughout the centuries who have heard of the real work of Jesus, that that same experience, like watching Undercover Boss, you're watching about something that happens to someone else, but you ever, ever watch a show and find yourself like caught up in it? And something happens because they strike a chord. It's not the exact details, but you realize you can relate to their story, and then it becomes yours. My friend, all of us are rebels, and God sees it all. But all of us are worth it. And so Jesus' death and resurrection, the fact that on day one he walked seven miles to find two people, just two. If, if I am rising from the dead, I'm going straight to BBC, CNN, Fox, whoever, and I'm going to broadcast to everybody. Hello. What does Jesus do? He spends hours with two. And my friend, that's the nature of God's love for you. He's not shouting his commands from the sky. He's whispering to your ear, I know you and I love you. Come back. So the invitation today is for you to come back to what you in your already heart and your mind, you kind of know to be true. That even though I'm a failure, God is faithful. And even though I'm broken, God can forgive. And even though I don't have much to offer, Jesus still paid it all in full for me. The second implication, not only is Jesus listening, second implication is that lives, lives are changing. That's how the story rounds out. They got up, verse 33, and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and he's appeared to Simon. And then the two, uh, and when the, then the two told what had happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Lives are really changed. Something what happens, happens within them, just like something happens within you. You see, Jesus changes everything. And when your eyes are open, so to speak, and you see Jesus for who he is, he was born of the Virgin Mary, and he lived a sinless life. 
and no one made him go to the cross. The Romans didn't kill him. The Jews didn't kill him. We see as we read the writings that it's our shame, our sin, our guilt, our debt that Jesus came to pay in full. And out of love, the sinless one gives up his life freely for people who at the time are mocking and joking and laughing and ridiculing. And isn't that our story? Isn't most of our story that for a season of life, we said, God, whatever. Jesus, who cares? And then our heart burns. And our mind begins to question. And at the right time, it clicks. Jesus is who he said he is. And he's alive. And when that comes to you, everything changes. So split track here as we move towards worship and response. Salvation. Some of us grew up hearing this message. My story was when I was very young, I was, I was given this gift, this good news, and it radically changed my worldview from a young age, and I'm grateful for it. So the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the work of the church has shaped me and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for the legacy of people who helped me see who Jesus is before I could make a fool of myself and wreck my world and have all of these regrets. I'm not perfect, but Jesus made me new at a young age and he continues to renew my mind and shape me and teach me. So the invitation for everyone this Easter is to follow Jesus, for everyone. Now this may be new for you, this may be all brand new news. You haven't read the scriptures. Church is an occasional thing. You're not sure. Can I just recommend? Receive that invitation. Take one step further. Take a serious look. This, this Easter season or this month, actually read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writings of the life of Jesus given by eyewitnesses themselves and read until you can fully answer in your own soul that Jesus is unconvincing. Because my friends, I am telling you from experience, Jesus is convincing and he's life-changing and he loves you and he's inviting you. Now, if you choose to be one of his followers, the invitation is still the same, to follow Jesus. Now, what does it look like? It looks like local stuff. We as a community, if you're part of the sunset, we value not just weekend experiences with stage and lights and music and chairs and rows, but we believe that following Jesus is an everyday thing. So we get together in smaller communities, sunset communities, to know people by name, to hear their story, to walk with them through the highs and lows, and to learn the way of Jesus. And let me tell you, no one in this church has it together, but we have been changed. No one's free from our own occasional rebellion, but we have been transformed. Not one of us can say we are worthy of God's redemption, but we can say with confidence he's chosen to do it and he's given us the Holy Spirit himself living in us so that we can actually live like Jesus and we are seeing it happen. It happens in all sorts of ways. Some of you saw this amazing pic over from Vancouver at Dutch Bros. Of this, I think we have a photo, this picture. There was a lady who was 37 years old lost her husband the night before. She goes in for a coffee and the baristas obviously see she's distraught. They ask her her story and she says she lost her husband last night. What do they do? They reach out. 
And they pray for her in her car. See, that's a sign to me of the resurrection. If Jesus is speaking and Jesus is alive, then Jesus can actually comfort this woman and bring some resolve to a painful experience. Jesus can walk with her like he walked with Cleopas to her experience of healing through a gnarly situation. Jesus is alive. Now, if Jesus is not alive, what's the point of that? What is the point of praying to a God who might not do anything? But we who follow Jesus are convinced he's loving and he's good and he's kind and he's here and he's for us and he's not against us. But it's not just like Jesus and us here. It's what Jesus is doing around the world. Um, we, we, we're involved all over the world, but I'll throw one example. Uganda, I think there's a picture of a young girl. Um, this, this picture is not of someone that I've met in Arua, where we planted a church. But I just wanted to give you a visual. But I, what I do have here is I have a packet, and we've been talking about it as a church next week. In light of the resurrection, we believe every child is worth it. This little packet, I've got um, Dennis. He's just eight years old. And he needs someone to sponsor him so that he could go to school and have medical care and a meal midday and have a future. And you know what? Those of us who believe in the resurrection think that it changes the way we live. So we're not doing it this week. I don't want to confuse things. You don't pay off God. I'm going to sponsor a child because that, see God, I'm, I'm all right. Now on Saturday, I live like hell. But I write a check once a month. Look at me. No, but those of us who follow Jesus, we, we respond and say that where there is need, we will step in. And where there's an opportunity to bring hope, we will do our part. So next week, if you're part of our community, even if you're not, show up next week. And we have 150 young kids in this town called Arua that we want to see financially sponsored, 40 bucks a month for school fees and a uniform and medical care and food and a chance to learn the story of Jesus through a local church that we help plant that's organizing the school and caring for these young lives. See, resurrection means something. Now, the invitation today is to respond. Put aside what you might do next week. Sponsoring a child or not, irrelevant. What are you going to do now? In light of Jesus' love for you, his gift of life, his sacrifice, he already paid it. Will you receive him? Or will you say, no thanks. My heart breaks for Avi. Um, after 28 years of telling people about the Jesus and wh what he did and where he went, Avi's still not convinced. And I hope that's not your story. I hope that your heart is burning within you now and that you take that next step and follow Jesus. He saves. Why don't you stand on your feet if you would. We're going to respond by worship. We worship lots of ways. We sing. Singing gets to the heart. We could just say the words, but it wouldn't have the same effect, right? But things that are true, we put our soul to it. And artists help us to take what's really true and what we really believe and to vocalize it in a way that I know it touches the heart of God, but it does something for me too when I worship the living Jesus.
But this morning, you might not be a worshiper yet. You might be one step from following Jesus. So before we do sing, and in a little bit we go to the table, we remember the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus for our redemption, to buy us back and give us freedom. Jesus, in our place, to pay our debt. Before we do that, I wonder if there's one, two, three, 10, 20. Here this morning, you say, Jose, like, like Cleopas, man, something's clicking within me. And I want this life. I want, I want to come back to God. I did this when I was a kid. Here I am. I'm 27 years old. I've been roaming around, and I thought I'd find life without God, but I'm coming back. I want to come back to the life that's in Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're 18 or 28 or 42 and you've never yet said, Jesus, take my debt, my junk, my sin, my rebellion and replace it with your life and your love and your freedom. I want to really live the way you intended. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I don't even know how, but I'm going to. This is the way to life. Today I choose to follow you. If that's you here this morning, we want to celebrate that. So I'm going to pray. And as we pray, if that's you and you want to follow this Jesus, we want to invite you to respond. Respond today to say, yes, I'm going to be one of his followers. And then follow up to that next week. Come back and go into the waters of baptism where it is a, a visual, a picture. The old life is gone. I go down under the water. The old me is gone. The old life, living apart from God, that's over. But then I come up out of the water, symbol, so everyone can see that this cleaning, it comes from Jesus. And now I'm going to live a new way. I'm going to live a new life. I'm going to follow a new leader. I'm going for it. I'm his. I encourage you this morning, take the first step. And then next week, take the next step. And then the following week, keep going and follow Jesus. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Some of you here, you say, Jose, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to follow him now. What do I do? Cleopas and... Uh, this other person, Jesus, is right in front of them. They just need to open their eyes and see who he is and invite him to be everything that they had hoped for. So this morning, if that's you, you say, Jose, I, I put my hope in Jesus, in Jesus alone to rescue, redeem, buy me back, set me free. I want him to do that this morning. If that's you, in a moment, I'm going to have you slip up your hand so that I know who I'm praying for. We're going to pray together. You'll put your hand down. We're going to sing and worship. And I already told you the next step. Next week, I'm going to ask you to come back and be baptized in water. Going public, that will be your full public expression of your faith that you're expressing in Jesus today. That's you. On the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. Don't be ashamed. Jesus sees. Jesus knows. Raising your hand doesn't save you, but faith in Jesus saves completely. And so if you want to express that faith, do something. Take the first step this morning.